0: Ha 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 There's been death and drama on Annapurna this week, a veteran climber is dead, another miraculously rescued, and multiple others are lucky to be alive after a tragic few days in the Himalayas. As the deadliest of the 8,000 meter peaks, Annapurna has of late become an object of desire for a wider and larger group of the new era of mountaineers, ticking off peaks on their checklist, and in recent years, guides have supplied high levels of support and supplemental oxygen to make the peak much more accessible to less experienced climbers there's more happening in the himalayas right now as the season is in full swing today i have an awesome interview with one of the world's most respected chroniclers of everest alan arnett who's reporting on this spring's Everest and Himalayan climbing season for Outside Online, as well as on his blog at alanarnett.com. We'll talk about the miraculous rescue effort on Annapurna, where Indian climber Anurag Malu was found alive after spending three days inside a crevasse on Annapurna. Three days. Angela Benavides of Explorer's Web reported that Malu was 50 meters down in the crevasse, found barely alive by a rescue team led by Adam Bielecki. A mind boggling rescue, defying all odds. Also, with Alan, we'll talk about the loss that sent shockwaves through the Himalayan climbing community. The ever popular and 10 time ever summiter Noel Hanna of Ireland, 56 years old, died in his tent in Camp 4 on Annapurna after summiting without supplemental oxygen. Alan and I will also cover the summit on Manaslu by Felix Berg, the Sherpa's expanding role in the world of 8,000 meter peak guiding. And Alan has also written a book and we will talk about that. So here's my conversation with Alan Arnett from his home in Colorado. Alan, so (laughs) congratulations again, outside has chosen you to be the, the de facto source for all things Everest and Himalayan peaks. What goes along with that responsibility and that great gift, if you will?
1: You know, I think um, uh, two, two words come to mind, authenticity and, uh, and accuracy, and maybe integrity along with that. Um, and these are the same values I've applied to my own uh, blog for, you know, for years, that I think that people, they don't want to hear spin. Um, they don't want to hear conjecture. They want to hear to the best of your ability the, uh, to tease out whatever's happening out there in on Everest and the other mountains. Like right now, um, just a few days ago, this, uh, this Indian climber went uh, missing, uh, presumably fell into a crevasse. And um, now three days later, they found him. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, you know, if you believe in miracles, this is, a, this is a miracle. Now he is in critical condition now back in Kathmandu. But when I first reported it, I said that he was missing. I didn't say that he was dead. We knew that Noel Hanna had died. That had been confirmed uh, tragically, just, I mean, just stunningly. Uh, But this individual was still missing. And I think that's what outside is looking for. Um, You know, they're more of a general publication, as we all know, for outdoor enthusiasts. They cover everything from, you know, mountain biking to you know how to date on a mountain you know and everything in between you know but i think when it comes to everest um you know it's it's this this as i've said before it's the mountain that we've come to love to hate
0: yeah it 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 is uh everest has become very polarizing and there are a lot of people who have significantly strong opinions about the garbage what to do with the bodies up there, the human waste and the supposed, but I believe the tide has changed greatly over the decades is people believe that the Sherpa are being completely exploited on Mount Everest and in the Himalayan peaks. And I think that those are some clarification talks that maybe that might be for another day. However, all that said, with three Sherpa having been killed in the Kumbu Icefall about a week ago, I, you know, I have a small but growing YouTube channel, and there's a lot of people commenting saying they're exploited. They're exploited. Those people shouldn't be there. And granted, I do believe their incredible strength and kindness and uh, stick to itiveness, if you will, is taken for granted by many people. I feel like the they've kind of shifted the tide they're kind of almost driving the industry saying no we're taking over here this is our mountain i'm not sure if i went too far with that but can you comment on that just a little bit
1: you know this is kind of the third rail of of mountaineering is what is the role of the sherpa uh community and supporting uh you know when i go back and and reflect on the evolution of commercial mountaineering on Everest, Uh, let's say 2010, so 13 years ago, which is not that long ago, 80% of the people who summited Everest were guided by a commercial outfit, like international mountain guides, adventure consultants, uh, Himalayan experience, Hymex, Russell Bryce's outfit, um, Alpine ascents. And only 20% were guided uh, by a purely owned Nepali company. Today is completely the opposite. Eighty percent of the summits, across all the eight thousand meter mountains, including in Pakistan, including K2 and Nanga and the rest, are their the clients are guided by um, Nepali-owned companies like uh, Seven Summits Treks and Eight K Expeditions and Imagine Nepal. And so, um, I think it is valid to say that the Nepalis are now driving high altitude mountaineering. Um, and, I, and I don't have a problem with that. Uh, you know, if you look at every single country in the world from um, Switzerland, Italy, France, Argentina, Antarctica, I don't know if you'd call it a country, but and the United States, that every single country monetizes its natural resources, including tourism. So that's all that Nepal is doing. They're monetizing Mount Everest. Um, you know it's the only mountain that's that high in the world so they've got a corner on the market you know so um I think the sherpas are driving driving it now and they in so when people say that the sherpas are exploited I'm not sure they're looking at it in the context of the evolution so and I'm not sure I, I should even go here but I'm going to say this that first off nobody forces a sherpa to climb Mount Everest Nobody forces anybody to be a porter or to be a climbing Sherpa or to be a personal Sherpa. They, it is a job. They are, they do it voluntarily and they are paid for it. Are they paid enough relative to the risk? You can, you can argue that all day long. And I'm not sure what the right answer for that is. You could argue that a construction worker building a bridge across a river is not paid enough because they might fall off and die. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but the Sherpas are doing this on their own, their own uh, volition.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. That's because uh, I think it's such an important conversation and I endeavor to find somebody representative of that community to talk to someday and we'll expand upon that or maybe a forum or something. But um, but given this being the beginning, the the early stages of the Everest and the free monsoon Himalayan climbing season, um, we do have some news. So Annapurna sounded like it could have been an amazing disaster. Now, granted, live at least one life was lost and then the three Sherpa and the ice ball. So without trying to ha- be a harbinger of, of like, you know, what might happen in the future, it was a tough beginning to the 8000 meter peak season. And, you know, what what might we kind of keep an eye on right now?
1: I don't want 2023 to be a repeat of 2019 when 19 people died across multiple 8,000 meter mountains, the common denominator in 2019. uh, First off, it was predominantly Indian nationals who died. Uh, -hmm. there was a vast disparity in experience of the people who died. Some were very experienced. Some were not experienced at all and should not have been there. Um, Again, just due to like we just talked about, the, um, the Nepali companies were the pr- predominant companies that were their logistics operators. And they have a different attitude about um, guiding than, let's say, a, a, a guy Cotter with Adventure Consultants. I've, I've done many podcasts with Guy, and he says his responsibility is to take, is to get a person back home alive and safe. It's not to get them to the summit. Mm-hmm. And whereas the Nepali companies typically feel like that. Um, And it's just as a generalization doesn't apply to everybody, but a lot of them feel like their job is to get the person to the mountain and then give them the opportunity to climb. And that's what a lot of people want. Mm -hmm. So as a result, you end up having people with various degrees of experience on the mountain, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So I always tell people to, uh, you know, it's buyer, climber beware. You have to know what you're doing and don't assume because this company has Sherpas have summited Everest 10 or 20 times that they're going to save you if you make a mistake. Um, The people that were on Annapurna here recently, the dog got rescued. Several of them were by themselves high on the mountain. If you're qualified, you know, like like a Reinhold Messner was, that's fine. If this is your first 8,000 meter mountain, it's not okay to be by yourself. So again, you have to have personal responsibility. So looking forward in the season, we've had three deaths, which is three too many on Everest already, one on Annapurna. Um, the people are now moving over to Daligiri and Makalu, Manaslu. we just had a summit today, Well, a, a, a German by himself, Felix. You know, he summited completely independent, but this guy is incredibly qualified. So that was not irresponsible on his part at all. You know, if you want to forecast, as they say, if you're going to forecast, you're going to predict the future, do it often and do it early. So (laughs) I have no idea what's going to happen. Historically on Everest, it's uh, four, six, eight people lose their life every season uh, statistically. So I don't think it's... um, being a harbinger of death to suggest that we might see more fatalities as we go into the season. Yeah. Also, this year has been, the, the weather has been crazy. Last year, it was phenomenally great. This year is phenomenally snowy. Yeah. So lots of avalanches, lots of heavy snow, that's good for keeping the rocks from rockfall, but it's bad for potential avalanches and just increasing the degree of difficulty in climbing the mountain.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Alan, um, without going off in too many tangents and kind of bring it back to the center of what I was hoping to ask you also earlier was two part question one, do you have any idea of how many permits there will be for Everest and, and what the estimate is for that number because people are still arriving in base camp, and then two. China, um, the the Tibet side of Everest, and then also Shishapangma and any uh, choo if you will, on that side. Um, how is how are we looking there? Yeah, uh, as of I think yesterday,
1: the Ministry of Tourism um, said they had issued uh, right at four hundred permits to. Four- foreigners. And China is leading the pack at roughly 90, with the U.S. the second at around 60 or 70, something like that. And then India is third into the 40s. So, you know, I think we'll see some It could be a record. The record was 409 permits issued a couple of years ago. Uh, so I think we'll break that record this year. And it's primarily driven by the return of the Chinese after their COVID lockdowns and the reemergence of the Indians after their uh, COVID issues and also economic issues. So I think you're going to see China, India and the U.S. being the top three countries on Everest again. Probably we could we could Uh, get really close to 500 permits issued. And then you take the ratio of one to 1.5 Sherpas per uh, client. Now you're talking, you know, let's say it's 500. That's another 750 Sherpas. You could have over a thousand people that are attempting the mountain this year. So Everest is a big mountain. That's not a problem. If you spread it out over three weeks, you spread it out over three days is a disaster like we saw in 2019. That's why that line was there. It wasn't too many people. It was not enough. T- not enough summit days when the winds are under 30 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, China they did reopen um, uh, the entire country to tourist visas, but they did it too late for the operators to run Everest expeditions this year. So they are now gearing up to go to Choilu and Shishapangma in the in the autumn. Um, you know, many companies now are marketing that heavily. Uh, there are a, a couple of people heading over. They are right now that are on Shish um, uh, trying to tag all the 14. Uh, Kristen Harla from Norway, she's over there. Um, She's trying to get all 14 in a record time of six months. Uh, So, you know, uh, yeah, if you get, if you, you know, if you really try hard enough, you can go into Tibet right now, but um, it's few and far between.
0: Amazing. Yeah. So good. Thank you for the clarification. That would also explain why so many of the Chinese are on the Nepal side, endeavoring to climb the mountain. And uh, yeah. So
1: one one more (laughs) little nuance on that is that if you're a a Chinese national, in other words, a Chinese citizen, and you apply to go climb Everest, you have to have attempted and probably summited an 8,000 meter mountain before China will give you a permit to go climb on the Tibet side. Nepal has zero qualifications. It always amuses me, you know, we just got finished with the Boston Marathon that you've got to qualify to run the Boston Marathon. You don't have to qualify to climb Mount Everest in Nepal. So that's the reason that you see a lot of Chinese come over and climb from the Nepal side.
0: (laughs) Just nailed it. So soon we'll have 30,000 people attempting Mount Everest in one season.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And probably the Kenyan will win
0: yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) hey
1: yeah good to kind of spread the love around yeah i think that you know it's always it always comes down to the weather um you know if we've got if if finally the the snows relent um you know everything kind of calms down on the upper mountain and we've got the normal may 5th to may 25th weather window or about three weeks uh, um i'm not anticipating any out of the ordinary problems this year but um but, you know, again, you never know. I think we have seen what I find interesting is I'm finding the, the overall Everest scene is, if I can use this word, maturing, that we're starting to see fewer deaths. You know, statistically, Everest is, of the 14,000, meter mountains, it's number 12 when it comes to the death rate. So it's relatively low. And that's because that the operators are using the same route, tents in the same place, heavy Sherpa support, many operators now are using more supplemental oxygen starting at lower altitudes. So the formula is in place, just like it is on Denali or on Aconcagua, that you know, there's a formula, it's a formula climb. So they've taken all the unknowns out. What they haven't taken out are the things they can't control. And obviously that's mainly the weather. So if we have good weather, it should be a, a relatively good season, probably with record summits. If it continues to be a bad weather year, then, you know, Katie, bar the door. I don't know what's going to happen.
0: So when's your next blog post coming out? Are you going to hit that. You, I think you just did one two days ago or. Yeah, I
1: did a couple of days ago talking about um, um, Noel Hanna and his tragic death. up uh-huh. there. You know, that also just it speaks to the randomness of altitude. You know, he summited Everest 10 times. he's summited K2, uh, highly experienced, highly respected, highly loved person just, just a ball of joy, Mm -hmm. but it speaks to the randomness of altitude that you can do great one year and the next year you can, you can die. Mm -hmm. And no one knows, you know, what the cause of death was. I don't know. I, you know, uh, his wife Lynn went to Kathmandu. She arrived a couple of days ago and to bring his body back to Ireland. I'm I'm sure they'll, they might do an autopsy. I don't know, but uh, they might've done it in uh, Kathmandu, but the cause of death, but I suspect it'll be altitude related, Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that's another thing that goes to, uh, to the experience. You can be the most experienced climber in the world and still altitude can get you. And that's the bargain that we make when we go climb these big mountains, you know, but again, um, you know, it's, it's a trade-off. It's the joy that we get. It's the personal growth It's the satisfaction. Um, and I, I, I talk a lot about, you know, the, why, why do you go do this? And, and the answer is irrelevant, the answer is unique and personal to you as to why you go climb a mountain. You can do it for fame and glory. You can do it for personal growth. You can do it just to tick a box, you know, and whatever your answer is is the right answer for you. You're not climbing for somebody else. Most people, of course, there are professional climbers are doing it for a job, but 99% of the people are doing it for themselves and whatever their unique and personal reason is. And, you know, we all get something out of it. Otherwise you wouldn't put yourself through such suffering to go and do it. And also in a very serious note, you wouldn't take the risk Mm. because there is a real risk of losing your life on these big mountains. Mm. It's real.
0: Alan. So you have a manuscript of a book that you wrote and you're shopping for someone to take the reins so the world can read your writing.
1: Yeah, this is a, a an overnight project, which started 10 years ago. Um, as I said, you know, when my mother died from Alzheimer's, when Ida died from Alzheimer's in 2009, after going through that journey with her, I thought um, that I should write a book. And then when I summited K2 at age 58 and had a very difficult experience, I thought I should write a book. So here it is in 2023. I now have a 60,000-word 60, manuscript, and Tom, is basically about, it's an intersection of what I call my passion and purpose, my passion being mountain climbing, my purpose now being an Alzheimer's advocate, and it talks about, it starts off with talking about my experience on K2, and then goes back in history, and it's a memoir, so it talks about, you know, I talk about my life growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, and of all places to go off and then climb all these big mountains. And then I lightly touch on some of the adventures I've had from Patagonia to New Zealand to attempting Everest three times and finally summiting. Um, I talk a lot about my relationship with my mom and my dad. um, And then I bring it back around to talking about the experience on K2. So it's I weave interweave the the Alzheimer story with um, with my mountain climbing because they're 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 completely tightly linked in my life. It really defines my life and who I am. Mm. Um, and so I've got this, and I'm now I've got the manuscript. It's, um, you know I think it's I think it's good. I think it's worthy of a of a, a publisher. Taking it and publishing it as a real book, not as a, I shouldn't say as a real book compared to a self published, but I really would like to have a, a, you know, one of the top five publishers. So I'm looking for an agent. I'm now sending out what are called query letters uh, to try to find an agent that's interested. We'll see where it goes. You know, just kind of send these letters off to the agents and hope that, you know, it'll, somebody will like what you wrote. But they they, they only read the first sentence, as I understand. So I really try hard to get that first sentence powerful.
0: You can find Alan Arnett's blog at alanarnett.com or check outside online for his Everest and Himalayan Peak reports. Either place, you can keep up to date on his Everest reporting, but most importantly, Alan's heart is with Alzheimer's advocacy in tribute to his mom, Ida. I'll provide links in the notes to this episode. If you've enjoyed what you've seen today on Everest Mystery, I hope you'll consider hitting that subscribe button. But even more importantly, let us know what you think in the comments, and I hope you'll let us know where you are today. And lastly, if you stick around, I'm gonna put a video up on the screen that might be of interest to you stay positive guard your thoughts be generous and kind do a good deed say something kind to someone today we are all in this together i appreciate you being here on everest mystery thanks very much have a great day and peace out